0: Hope everyone is doing well uh, this morning. Um, Our kids can now be dismissed for the kids lesson, if you will. You can just go right into the back of the lobby and take you over um, next door. Well, actually, it's not so much next door anymore, it's just through through doors over there, which we're so thankful for. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn with me to Mark uh, chapter 9. Last week we heard the story of of the transfiguration where a couple of the disciples got to go with Jesus up on the mountain and and they got to see a bit of Jesus' glory. Now what we're going to see this morning is while there's this glorious and wonderful thing going up on top of the mountain, there is chaos down at the bottom. Okay, there's a wonderful painting by um, the artist Raphael. It was his very last painting. It's, it's of this transfiguration. The, the top of the painting is, is, you know, this glorious place, right, where Jesus is being glorified in the transfiguration. And then the bottom half of the picture shows the chaos that's going on at the bottom of the mountain. And this morning what we're going to see is that, that Jesus, the, the Lord of glory, the one who deserves, if you will, to even stay up on that mountain, and receive all glory he comes back down he he comes back down into the broken world and so let's read starting at verse 14 and see how Jesus enters in what what this broken world that Jesus enter, enters into looks like and when they came to the disciples they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them and immediately all the crowd when they saw him were greatly amazed and they ran up to him and they greeted him and they asked him what are you arguing with them And when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes But Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him up and he arose and when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why, why could we not cast it out? And, and what does Jesus say to him? This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Oh, let's pray right now. Father, we, we, we need you right now. We need you as we were just singing every hour and, and we need you now to open up your word before us and maybe even this morning as as. We dive into your word. Would you teach us to truly need you every hour? Oh, bless us now through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned, Jesus enters into this broken world. He comes back down, and, and as he comes back down, there's some characters, and I want to lay the characters before us first. You, you have the disciples, the other nine, who were who are left down there, and evidently they'd been somewhat at work, right? They, at least they have been trying to do some things, but as we see... They, they, there was something they weren't able to do. Something that they've been able to do before. They've been able to cast out demons before, and now for some reason they can't do it. They're not sure why. So, so there are the disciples. And then you have religious leaders there too. Evidently, they've come again to hunt Jesus out. They they're probably out with their notepads <laughs> and writing down. They're keeping track. Right. They're they're trying to figure out how they're going to get Jesus and. They're probably arguing with the disciples about the way that they're going about this exorcism. You're doing it all wrong, or you didn't get the appropriate permission, right? Uh, You you have the crowds who've who've gathered together to see what's going on. looky loose it seems almost like. And it's in the midst of all that. In the midst of this arguing, what do you have? You have this this boy, this broken boy, and his dad. And they seem to totally miss it. There's all this chaos going on around it, and and they, they, they... they miss here is this distraught father. And Jesus comes and he asks, basically, what's going on? What are y'all arguing about? And it ends up that it's the father that ends up answering him, verse 17 Teacher, I brought my, my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams, he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. So the father has to come in the midst of this chaos. The, the, the father comes, and he comes respectfully. He says, Rabbi, teacher. And as we learn later, that this boy has been suffering from this from childhood, from an early, early age. So Jesus has come back down off the mountain, the mountain of transfiguration, the mountain of glory, where, where people were able to see a bit of his glory, and he comes down into this messed up and broken world. And he steps into it. And what is he going to do? How is he going to proceed? A number of years ago, and I, I've already told you all some stories from this before, but I had the opportunity to work out in Colorado and, and like run a rappelling cliff and, and ropes course and stuff out there. And there was one day up on the rappelling cliff where people go you know, hopping down the side of the mountain on ropes, crazy stuff, right? Um, one of the things that would happen is you have a little device like this. It's called a figure eight. This is what the rope runs through okay, Uh, whenever you're rappelling down. It's how you control your descent, right? But when you're going down, the rope flies through this little device, and there's something that would happen if you're not really careful, especially if you have long hair. You can just imagine, like, a little wisp of hair would get caught in there, and sometimes you'd hear girls, sometimes guys, too, suddenly, ah! You know, you just hear them yell out. Sorry for that. Um, Anyway, um... You'd hear them yell out because of the pain. You know, a, a little strand of hair suddenly got ripped out. So what well, we'd always tell them, you got to make sure that your hair is up underneath that helmet really good, right? You don't want that to happen to you. One day, um, as I'm up there on rappel, and I suddenly hear it from somebody else's line down, down over to the right. and I, I suddenly hear a girl, you know, somebody like screaming in, in pain. And there's a girl about halfway down the side of the mountain, and she's just kind of all crumbled together. And we're trying to figure out what's going on and c- come to find out what's going on is like a whole kind of, not just like a strand, but like a whole part of her hair has gotten caught in as I would find all tied and knotted up in the device, right? So there she is hanging off the side of the mountain and we couldn't just leave her and say, you know, we're going to dinner. You know, we, we had to do something with her, but how do you get her down? She's trapped, she's in pain. So I ended up, and I know it may be hard for you to believe it now, but um, anyway, <laughs> I had to go down the side of the mountain, you know, kind of rappel down right there beside her. And and here's this girl. She's frightened. She's terrified. She's in pain. And I start trying to talk to her. And I start telling her what we're going to need to do. I said, "There's there's no way we're going to have to. I'm going to have to cut out that hair in order to get you down because it's completely knotted. There's no way we're ever going to get it out." And she starts. No, there's absolutely no way. She starts screaming. She starts crying. She starts kicking. You know, we're hanging off the side of the mountain, not exactly what you want somebody doing with you, but, but anyway, it's, it's this thing, she's trying to come up, no, there's got to be another way, no, there's not another way, and finally she says, okay, I'll trust you. And then I bring out my knife, and then she starts freaking out again, because we're hanging, you know, down from ropes, knives aren't usually what you want to see, um, so she starts freaking out again, but finally, calm her down again, finally, she, this is the only way. And finally she says, okay, I trust you. Somebody she'd never seen before until that moment, hanging off the side of the mountain. Um, but she said, okay, I'll trust you. Now, she thought there for a moment I was trying to kill her, didn't she? Um, but at the same time, she reached out and trust. Faith is often a very difficult thing. It's, it's not something we always come by easily, and often faith can be painful. And, and we see that in the story this morning as this, son, as this father brings his son and tries to have faith that Jesus can really do something. So what's going on in our story? Let's jump back in. Jesus comes down. Do you remember those words? Did you hear those words that he said? Verse 19. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Jesus comes down, and he's exasperated. He's upset, and he's upset at everybody who's there, basically. It includes the disciples. He's frustrated with them. We've been talking about the disciples and how they should be growing in their faith. And so often they don't seem to believe. They so often don't seem to get it. And these disciples, they they don't seem to get it. He's talking to the disciples too as he says, how long a faithless generation. And you see, the disciples... They didn't know why. They didn't understand why they couldn't do it. Look at the very end of our passage, verse 28. Uh, at the end, after everything's done, they get in private with Jesus, and they ask him the question. Even after they see everything, they say, why could we not cast it out? And what does Jesus says? He, he, he says, this kind could not be driven out by anything but prayer. In some ways, it seems like an odd response. But what Jesus is saying, your, your failure was a failure to pray, and, and what that failure to pray, what it really revealed, it revealed your failure to rely on me. That's what Jesus is saying. You see the disciples, they, they, they'd gone out, they, they'd done this before, right? Jesus had sent them out on a mission before, they'd cast out demons, he'd given them power, but it was by him that they were able to do it. And now whenever Jesus is up on the mountain and this father brings a son, they think, oh yeah, we got this. And I don't know which one of them, I'm, I'm going to take it a little far here for a second so bear with me. But, you know, the one disciple, I got this. Oh, yeah, I can do this. I know how to do this. I've done this before, right? And he says the words, whatever he did before, and nothing happens. And then another disciple said, oh, you're doing it all wrong. You know, it's, it's like Hermione Granger. You, you remember that, that, that moment? It's, it's leviosa, not leviosa. You know, it's like this, you're not quite doing it right, Thomas, you're not quite doing it right. Judas, we know why you can't do it. You know, like there's there's this, they're trying in their own strength to do this thing. And their failure, by Jesus' response, I think their failure is a failure to, to really believe and to trust in Jesus to do it. That they don't have the power in of themselves. They may be Jesus' disciples, they may be his apostles. But they, in of themselves, do not have power to cast out demons. And for them, prayer, and for us, prayer is that thing by which we recognize God's authority, where we recognize his power, right? You and I, we're we're not called to pray, which we should do and we need to do more of. We're not called to pray so that we can accomplish things through our prayers, you understand, right? Prayer is a humbling of ourselves, a humbling of ourselves before our holy God, taking ourselves before him, submitting ourselves to him, right and and totally relying upon him but i think in some ways that's why we struggle to pray It's because we struggle to rely on him we we think that we can rely on ourselves we think there's certain things well maybe i can handle this that that's how we live even if we know that that's not true we we know that shouldn't be the way that we live or should live that's so how often we live right and we don't and we fail to take things to jesus because Ultimately, we, we don't rely on him, but Jesus is, is calling his disciples here as he's telling them about prayer. I think he's saying, it's through me that you should be able to do this, not, not on your own. It's because of who I am, Jesus is saying. You see, the disciples, whenever Jesus looks at them and he says that, oh, faithless generation, he sees his disciples and he sees people who don't really seem any different than the rest of the world. They seem indistinguishable from everybody else in that crowd. Of all people, even after everything that they've seen, they, they, they fail to submit themselves in reliance upon him. You see the problem so often, and, and the biggest problem I think in our world today is the problem of unbelief. And it's not just the problem out there, it's the problem in here too. We all struggle with unbelief to one degree or another, and we show our unbelief every time we decide to go our own way, right? We decide, God, I think I got this. You know, I I think this is going to be better for me than your plan for me. I think this pleasure is more important than what you're calling to me, and I I think it's going to be better for me somehow. That's the way we operate, and when we're doing that, we... We're failing to believe him and trust him that his way is really better for us and it really is for our good. You know, this morning, as I got going this morning and began finishing prep for this morning, I, I was tempted there for a moment. There was a conversation, sadly a conversation that went on in my head. Do I have time to pray this morning before I get started? And right there, I showed my unbelief. How could I ever think of getting up here and not doing that? How could I? Showing my lack of reliance, somehow I need the more, that's really the other preparation that I'm going to put into getting everything together instead of relying on him. He has to be at work. Holy Spirit has to be at work speaking through me now. He has to be at work, and your heart's applying the word to you this morning. So Jesus says, oh, faithless generation to to the whole crowd, to everybody there, right? So what is it that Jesus is wanting? Is he wanting us to have super faith? Is he wanting you and I to have a faith that comes without doubts? A a faith that doesn't waver? Yes, he is. He really does want that for us. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to come this side of glory. Don't get me wrong. But that's what he wants for us. He wants a faith that's going to grow, a belief that's going to grow deeper roots. You know, in thinking about this, I was reminded of Hebrews 11, right, where we have that hall of fame of faith, and we go through all these, these characters from the Old Testament, and we, we hear of their incredible faith. We, we hear of Abraham. And that by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive us as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And that later in his life, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall be your offspring named. And he considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And and I hear that, and I I hear that incredible faith of, of Abraham, and maybe you do too, and maybe you say, no way. I can never have that much faith and trust in God. And we need to look forward to that day where our faith will be made complete, okay, where we will have that completely, but our faith does grow. But we also need to remember Abraham was not the perfect model of faith, even though he's lifted up here and and the author of Hebrews is trying to encourage us in growing our faith, Understand, he wasn't the perfect guy of faith, right? He did obey and go when he was called, right? But then what does he quickly start doing? He quickly starts lying about who his wife is. Genesis 15, there's this incredible promise, this covenant made with Abraham and promise for the future and and his inheritance and his son. And so what does he do? Genesis 16, he goes and he tries to help God out. And he goes and sleeps with his wife's maidservant, because he didn't, doesn't think that God can really do what he's going to do. He doesn't have trust. He doesn't have faith. But then you get to Genesis 22, where what happens, he, he calls him to, to sacrifice his son, and what, ha- what do we read next in Genesis 22? But he got up early the next morning. And we think, how, how, how could you do that? Scripture does, though, not tell us about how sleepless that night was. Don't think for a moment that that. Abraham has grown a whole lot by the time you get to Genesis 22. But don't think his faith has somehow been perfected yet. You and I, we we need to remind our our faith will not be perfected yet, but we need to be reminded of some incredible truth. 2 Timothy 2 says this, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. But listen to this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Don't get tripped up too much on that deny him, that deny him is a total and final denial of him, but at the same time we read these words, if we're faithless, if we struggle in our faith, if it's always not perfect, if we struggle with unbelief, what does it say? He remains, what, faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You see, you and I, we, we, we aren't judged by the quantity of our faith and getting our faith together perfectly. Ultimately, we're judged upon Jesus' faithfulness on our behalf. Okay? Think back to that repelling cliff, okay? When you go on the repelling cliff, you, everybody would get clipped in the exact same way. There were some people. They would come up there, and they would be terrified. They would have very little faith in this device to hold them up and the ropes, okay. And it would be lots of coaxing, and finally they go down. There'd be other people, other kids that would practically just jump off the side as soon as you get clipped them in, right? And they just have complete, maybe stupid even, faith in in that that degree uh, um, in the devices that they have no knowledge of. But it's not—it's not the level of those kids' faith going repelling (laughs) that keeps them safe, right? Everybody is held up the same way. It doesn't matter how strong or how weak their faith is. They're just as safe and just as secure. And so it is for you and I. He is faithful, even when we are faithless. There's a moment in um, the movie, County Monte Cristo, it's not in the book, um, but for those of you familiar, there, there's this character, Dante, and, and he's been accused for something that, that he didn't do, right? And so he's in jail, and he befriends a priest, and um, the priest has, knows the location of a hidden treasure. Um, the priest is on his deathbed, and they've gotten very close. And, and on his deathbed, the priest tells him where the treasure is, okay? But then he says this. He says, when you escape, use the treasure for good, only good. And Dante says, no. I will surely use it for my revenge to get back on the people that have put me in here. And then the priest says, this is your final lesson. Do not commit the crime. Do not commit the crime for which you serve the sentence. God says, vengeance is mine. And then Dante says, but I don't believe in God. But the priest says, it doesn't matter. He believes in you. Now, I don't want to go into the theological correctness uh, 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 going on there in the story, but, but there's something poignant about that moment and, and pointing to whose faith, it is, in a sense, that really matters. And it's not the strength of your own that really and ultimately matters. So let's get back to the father in the story. He, he, he brings his son before Jesus, verse 20. And when he brings him, the spirit saw him, and immediately it convulses the boy. He fell on the ground. He rolled about foaming at the mouth. And then Jesus asks, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He he says, if you can do anything, will you help us? He's hanging there on the side of the cliff He can't fix the situation. He's tried over and over again. And he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, it's this weak, little, tiny, microscopic, you can't see it even under a microscope faith. He says, will you have compassion on us? Will you help us? And and you also realize there's an us there. It's not just the son that needs healing. The father, surely the whole family needs healing. Can you imagine Having had a child growing up like that for so many years, the damage done to the whole family. He says, if you can do anything, and you see Jesus' response, verse 23. If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. One commentator paraphrases it this way. He says, as regards your remark about my ability to help your son, I tell you everything depends upon your ability to believe, not on mine to act. Now, I want to make a quick pastoral remark here because we can hear something like this and, and we can turn Jesus into like this little genie in the bottle, right? And if we say the right things, then he's got to give us what we want. And, you know, because you've got to give us, you know, anything, right? Anything. All things are possible, right? But that brings the wrong focus to what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't so much talking about our unlimited ability to just get whatever we want. The focus is on his power to accomplish it all. His unlimited power. Yes, we should pray. We we should learn to pray boldly. But we also need to understand that that doesn't mean that our prayers always come out like we wish they would. Think of Jesus in the garden. What does he say? Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Be done. Surely we wouldn't say that somehow Jesus' prayer is defective. Or not said with enough faith because he didn't get what he asked for. No, it is a, is a prayer of complete reliance, isn't it? A prayer of complete trust and putting his, his trust and faith in his heavenly Father. Understanding that God's plans are somehow different than we wish. They don't always come out the way that, that, that we want, but, but they are ultimately for our good. He has better things in mind even if we can't comprehend it. and Even if we never get to see and understand those better things this side of glory. There's this moment in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, one of the Narnia books, where a, bunch, a, a group of folks, they're, they're sailing in a boat and they're going to try to find their loved ones. And they, they, they get close to this island and, and they're suddenly enveloped in complete darkness and it's terrifying. And they try to do everything they can to get away from it, but they, they seem to not be able to get away from this terrifying darkness. And in the midst of that, Lucy, she whispers this. She says, Aslan, Aslan, if you ever loved us at all, send us help now. And in that moment, an albatross comes out flying in the sky, and, and you know, the skies begin to part just a little bit, and you can see light, and the, the, the boat's able to, to begin to, to follow that albatross out. And in the midst of that, she hears a whisper in her ear from Aslan. Aslan, of course, the Christ-type figure in the books. And he says to her, courage, dear heart. Courage, dear heart. His, his whisper to her, his, his trust, have courage. Not in yourself, Lucy. Okay, he's not saying, you, you have courage yourself. You know, build it up in yourself. Have courage in, in me. Aslan, the, the, the one who is able to rescue you as I'm doing now. And all at once, everybody realized that there had nothing to be afraid of. And there never had been. Now, she doesn't come... Her, with a faith that has great strength, right? It's just a whispered, if you ever loved us. But it actually, it comes from a point, though, of, of helplessness and true and complete dependence, right? And we see something very similar in our passage this morning with this father. As he's hanging on the side of this cliff, what is he, what's what said? What, how does he respond to Jesus immediately? Verse 24, the, the father of the child cried out and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when, and when Jesus saw the crowd, came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you and you deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most thought that he was dead. But Jesus took him up by the hand and he lifted him up. And he arose. You see, the father in the story He's the only one who gets it. Remember, the disciples have to ask Jesus after the fact, what, basically, what just happened there? They still don't get it, even after seeing it all in front of them. But the Father, he, he, he seems to get it. He reaches out. He wants to believe. He wants to say, yes, I, I, I trust you. But, but he says, I, I want to believe, but, but I'm full of doubts. I believe, but I also don't believe. Like, it's a real struggle within me. It's an, he comes with an authentic response to Jesus, doesn't he? From his heart. Not just pretending because they're the right words you're supposed to say. He, he, he brings faith. It, it may be very tiny in quantity, right? But it's a genuine faith. A genuine faith that reaches out and says, I believe, but I'm really struggling here. I don't understand why. I don't understand how we got to where we did. I'm really confused, Jesus, but I'm trying to believe in you and I'm trying to trust that you really are good. So we hear the Father's prayer. I believe, help my unbelief, that's in a sense what it is. How do you rate that prayer? Is it a good prayer? Notice what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't t- chastise him and say, "You know, you need to come back later when your faith has grown a little bit." I mean, come on! I'm the Son of God here. You you can't. I- I'm God Himself. You you can you not trust me? He doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't do that at all. He he sees this broken boy in front of him and he reaches out to heal him. He has incredible compassion. On him, And what good news this is to all of us, because if we're honest with ourselves, we are a whole lot like this boy in the story. We're hanging off the side of a cliff. We desperately need rescue. We, we desperately need him in the midst of our life, in the midst of our brokenness, whatever it is. What, and I'm not just talking about that initial brokenness when we come to Christ. I'm talking about the brokenness that's in your life right now, the, the things that get you all caught up and turning over inside of you. All the ways that you you, you struggle to believe, and I, I don't know if I can trust you with this God. We need to learn to say those words of the Father. I believe, would you help my unbelief? So the Father says that, but you see what happens. From the Father's perspective, things don't look good for there for a moment. His son looks like a corpse. He would have believed that he was probably dead. Yes, the, the demons are now cast out, but, but now my son is dead. I, I, do I wish for the demons to be? You know, I mean, can you imagine being this father at this moment? And in that moment, it felt like death to him. It must have been a traumatic moment for him. Kind of like that girl hanging off the side of the cliff, thinking for a minute that I was trying to kill her. I remember Tim Keller many years, I don't even remember where it comes from, but I remember him saying, sometimes... Sometimes it seems as though the God that is trying to save us is trying to kill us. Sometimes that's the way it seems and feels. That doesn't mean that's true. But in his midst, in the midst of his rescuing and saving us and, and pulling us out of the darkness and out of this broken world, sometimes it hurts. And we're reminded even of what we've been hearing about recently as we've moved through the Gospel of John. What, Mark, sorry. As we move through the Gospel of Mark, what have we heard? But Jesus say what? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. If you want to follow me there's some things that are going to need to die and it's not going to necessarily be easy for you all the time. Cuz you must begin to learn to trust me and trust that my way is better than yours even when it seems counterintuitive. But what do we see in the story? We also see hope of resurrection. Jesus reaches down and he lifts the boy up. He he pulls him out of that moment that looks like death and he he rescues and he pulls him out. And and even as we wrestle with a world right now where some things seem in chaos and and our world seems to be falling away and even in our our, our personal lives as everything's not going perfectly like we, we wish, we do. We need to be reminded and look forward to that resurrection, that day that we're going to get pulled completely out of it, that, that day when, when we get to enjoy Jesus in glory, as his disciples did in a small picture, as we saw last week. So, where's all this go? Where's all this end? You and I, we, 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 we need. To learn more and more. How to express our faith and our belief in Him. We need to learn to trust Him and rely on Him more and more each day. You and I, we we, we need to grow in our faith and trust of Him. But remember, as as this faith grows in us, it's not a faith of self-reliance, right? It's not a, my my faith is growing, growing bigger so I don't have to trust him that much, you know, or I can do things with that. No, it's, it's a faith that is constantly reliant upon him, knowing that, that we can never muster enough belief and faith in and of ourselves that we need him, that when we are faithless, he is faithful. You see, if you're, if you're sitting around waiting for that day that, that you're finally going to have enough belief it's going to be a constant struggle. If you lay in bed and you ask, you know, sometimes you have that those moments of, is all this true? I hope you know this morning you're in good company. This is the struggle of the Christian life. And if you were to come to me today and say, well, I, I don't really struggle at all with that. I I, I I I, I always trust him, I I always believe, I I never doubt. Quite frankly, I I would say, I think we probably need to talk. Because you're probably relying on yourself. You're probably relying on the strength of your own faith, your own faithfulness, instead of his. You know, as we read through the Bible, we, we see over and over flawed people, don't we? But at the same time this morning, as we come together, we need to be reminded and we need to be reassured that even though we have these doubts and even though sometimes we struggle to believe and we sometimes struggle to trust Him that what He says for us is really better than what we think, we need to be reassured that in Him we are really secure. We we are really secure. It's not going to let go. Even though at moments it may be hard to trust. And maybe it's hard to trust this area or that area of your life. We've got to be remembered in the midst of our life, we, we can't re- rescue and save ourselves, but even though we try it regularly, we're stuck on the side of the mountain, halfway down the cliff. And Jesus is the, the one who saves amidst our doubts even. Even a, a, amidst our faith that sometimes comes short, amidst all of that, He is Faithful. Don't miss it. In him we are secure, and it's not because of our faithfulness, but because of his. So as we're in our faithfulness and doubt, we need to be reminded, certainly of the hope that we saw last week in the transfiguration, that that looking forward to that moment that that, that we will be with him in glory for all of eternity, and our faith will be perfected. What a glorious day Uh, we get to look forward to. But we also need to be reminded, the the, the one last week of glory, okay? Jesus, in that story of last week, he's the one who didn't need to come back down. He could have stayed up there. In a sense, he was in the right place. But the Lord of glory, Jesus himself, he, he, he chose to come back down off of that mountainside and come down into this broken and hurting world to save us, to rescue us? Do you believe it? Can you say, say with that father, I believe, help my unbelief. Oh, if we can just learn to say those words more and more each day, I think we'll find ourselves growing. I think we'll find ourselves maturing. I think we'll find ourselves trusting him more, trusting ourselves less. Do you believe it? I pray you do. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we confess, we, we struggle to trust you. Sometimes we, we struggle to believe that your plan is really good that your ways are better than ours, we, we so often think that somehow we know better, oh, would you, would you disabuse us of that? Would you even, as we're here this morning, as we continue in worship, as, as we come to the Lord's table, would you help us to come clinging, clinging to you? would you help us to trust you? And, and not just in this moment, would you help us to trust you as we go into this week? Oh, would you help our unbelief? And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.